uh, the Lord Jesus Christ who won our, our redemption uh, by his suffering and death on the cross, uh, now gathers us together in his name in holy baptism, and gathered together in his name, uh, he comes to us in, in scripture, in sermon, in sacrament, uh, to give us the gifts of redemption acquired at the cross. Five hundred years ago, Martin Luther would gather around the kitchen table with friends and theologians to talk about the Bible, theology, current events, and anything else. These discussions were called table talks. No matter what the question, the conversations always centered around Jesus and his promise of the forgiveness of sins. Table Talk Radio takes up the conversation, bringing the promise of the gospel to our lives. Stay tuned for Table Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Table Talk Radio. I'm Evan Gigline, and with me, of course, is uh, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, Pope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Good morning, Evan. Great lineup for Table Talk Radio. Uh, I remember a few shows back, we did this little segment called Iron Preacher, and... Uh, Iron Preacher! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this undeserved title of Iron Preacher, uh, Pastor Wolfmiller has... Uh, and it just kind of self-proclaimed, and then he, then he, we do this Iron Preacher segment, and then he comes up as a tie, and so he just gets to keep his title that he didn't even deserve in the first place. The tie goes to the Iron Preacher, apparently. I really like that rule, so we're going to play that again uh, today, and see if I can keep my title of Iron Preacher. Uh, I think. And you then need after more, that, I think you need more creative titles like uh, Golden Mouth Preacher from Christmas, and then you can maybe have a. You know, a silver-tongued preacher and uh, and a bronze tooth preacher or something, huh? <laughs> That's great, yeah. You just heard the voice of Professor John Pless of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's going to be the judge for Iron Preacher. Uh, but first, we're playing Answer the Question As. That'll be with Professor Pless. And at the very end of the program, we'll be doing a little law gospel. Uh, and we have a, a special sound clip for that. So let's be, let's start out uh, with Professor Pless. Uh, answer the question as. And uh, Professor Pless, uh, the, the standing question is, what is worship? And uh, Professor Pless, if you could answer the question, what is worship? First, as a Vatican II Roman Catholic. As a Vatican II Roman Catholic, I would say that worship is really about participation in the Paschal Mystery, that in the liturgy, uh, the priestly people of God uh, come together uh, to offer uh, their uh, sacrifice under the presidency of the priest. You see, it's not simply about the priest doing something for us, uh, but the priest becomes the president who watches over uh, the people of God as they are gathered together uh, to proclaim uh, that uh, Jesus has died, that he has been raised from the dead, and that, um, uh, and, and that uh, uh, in his uh, church now we have uh, communion uh, with not only God but with one another. Uh, then, uh, Professor Pless, as uh, someone who is an uh, advocate, member of the Emergent Church Movement, uh, <laughs> what is worship? Oh, boy. Well, uh, worship is, uh, is ever-expanding. Uh, worship is not so much something that one can define, uh, 
be experienced. In fact, we in the emergent church, uh, in the emerging church movement, uh, often like to use uh, the word epic. Uh, that uh, worship ought to be E, experiential, P, participatory, I, image-driven, and C, creative. Uh, that is, worship is not coming together uh, simply to do something uh, with our uh, with our minds, but worship ought to engage uh, engage the whole person in uh, ever uh, exploring uh, the dimensions of this reality that we uh, uh, that we call Christianity. You know, I have to say uh, it's it's a little different to hear you, Professor Pless, uh, to talk about the emergent church in the first person. <laughs> it's it's a little different for me. It seems a little bit... You asked me to assume the role. Yeah, yeah, you're doing good. It's, you're a little bit too good at that, I think. I'm a little suspicious. <laughs> okay, then, Professor oh. Plus, as a, uh evangelical, how would you answer the question, what is worship? Well, worship, first of all, ought to be about the conversion of sinners. Every worship service uh, ought to motivate and to move any unbelievers who might be there... Uh, to give their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that the real aim of worship uh, is, is, is soul winning. Now, that doesn't mean that, uh, uh, that those who are already uh, one for Christ have no place in worship. Uh, worship has a little different function for them. Uh, worship, uh, then, for those of us who already uh, know the Lord, is about uh, sanctification, ever-growing in uh, uh, a closer and holier relationship uh, uh, to God. I might ask a follow-up question on that. Um, what then is the uh, if 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 the goal of the service in is, is soul winning for non-believers? Um, what is the goal of the setup of the worship? In, in other words, if I show up Sunday morning to your wor- your worship service, what will I see? What will it look like? Well, first of all, uh, worship ought to, to create a mood, uh, an atmosphere uh, that uh, that would break down barriers. Uh, so that uh, the barriers that the sinful human heart erects uh, over against the, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit uh, might be overcome so that the Spirit can, uh, can work through the music and the preaching uh, to, uh, uh, to win the soul of the unbeliever for himself. Okay, then as a, a mainline uh, liberal denomination uh, member, how would you answer the question, what is worship? Well, worship really uh, for us is, is about transformation. It's not simply about uh, a transformation of individuals or the conversion of, uh, of, of individuals to, uh, uh, to the Christian faith, uh, but worship sets before uh, the church a vision of the new humanity, where there's ne- neither male nor female, a Jew nor Greek, as Paul says, slave or free. And in fact, we'd want to expand those categories again that... Uh, all the uh, uh, all the differences that uh, uh, that we experience in uh, uh, in this world are really overcome in worship, so that we are uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, irrespective of race, uh, sexual identity, economic uh, economic status, age, or physical abilities. And so, in in worship, uh, we really have a foretaste of the coming uh, reign of God. And, and our involvement in worship ought to then spur us on, motivate us 
uh, to a, a, a greater uh, ethical realization of uh, the Christian faith in the life of the world. Uh, then uh, how would uh, a Unitarian then uh, answer the question, what is worship? Well, as a, um, uh, as a Unitarian, of course, uh, we believe in the oneness of God, and that this, this God uh, far transcends uh, all the categories that the human beings use uh, to describe uh, the reality of, of, of God in God's self. And, and so for, uh, for us, uh, worship is basically uh, thinking and reflecting on our spirituality. Uh, a spirituality that um, uh, sees uh, the goal of the religious life as being again uh, in unity with uh, uh, with God, who is who may be described as the Creator, who may be described as uh, the life force, or may even be uh, described simply as a, um, uh, as as a uh, kind of a spiritual inner energy that permeates the universe. You see, we don't want to define God, but we want to think about uh, the, uh, the 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 reality of of, of humanity, uh, where uh, where human beings are really uh, spiritual uh, spiritual creatures. That is, there's a spiritual dimension to life, and and we want to reflect and and try to understand that the best we can. So that we can live together again in a in a human community that is marked by uh, a tranquility and the pursuit of peace and justice. Now, watch out, Pastor Wolfman is trying to throw you a curveball on this next question. Uh, as a Muslim, what is worship? Well, as as a Muslim, uh, I would have to say that worship is about submission. It is a submission uh, to the will of Allah, and we express that uh, submission. In every uh, dimension of our uh, of, of our lives, uh, in 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 prayer, in uh, uh, the way that we uh, uh, exalt the name of Allah, uh, and and the way that we uh, honor uh, the teachings of uh, of uh, Muhammad, his uh, ever blessed prophet. We're speaking with Professor John Pless of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And finally, Professor, if you would answer the question, what is worship as a confessional Lutheran? Well, for a Lutheran, worship is, first of all, uh, not something we do, but it has to do with God uh, coming to us. Uh, The Lord Jesus Christ, who won our our redemption uh, by his suffering and death on the cross, uh, now gathers us together in his name in holy baptism, and gathered together in his name, uh, he comes to us in, in scripture, in sermon, in sacrament, uh, to give us the gifts of redemption acquired at the cross. And so when we uh, come together in the divine service, we are coming together not to do something for God, uh, not to uh, simply have an intellectual or emotional experience, uh, but to receive the gifts of Christ, forgiveness of sins, and word and sacrament. Thank you so much, Professor Pless. Uh, Stay tuned for more Table Talk Radio right after this break. Uh, We're playing Iron Preacher, where Pastor Wolf Miller is trying to defend his title, Iron Preacher, which will be judged by Professor John Pless from Concordia Theological Seminary in Portland, Indiana. Right back, more Table Talk Radio right after this.
Table Talk Radio is listener supported. If you would like to help with the financial needs of Table Talk Radio, just click the donate button on our website, tabletalkradio.org, or mail us at P.O. Box 223, Yuma, Colorado 80759. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Uh, we're ready for I Am Preacher, but first, uh, Pastor Wolfmiller. Yeah, Evan's broadcasting, by the way. Everyone knows who's been following his career very closely that he's moved back up to Fort Wayne. He's in the Rule of St. Benedictine dorm there on campus uh, to join the other uh, seminary monks. And, and we have his professor, Pless, on the line, who's just finished this game, answer this question as. Now, professors, especially Evan's professors, don't get points for their participation. They get grades. So now, uh, Evan, the seminarian gag line, I would like for you to give a grade uh, to your professor on his uh, answers for the last. The, the well, this is a great joy for me, um, but I, I do have Professor Plass for some upcoming classes uh, this this upcoming year. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be uh, uh, very pleasing in my grading. So he'll return the favor. Um, so he gets uh, an A plus for that. And if I could give a higher grade, I would. Well, that's a, that's 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 impressive. Um, <laughs> I think you can go far as a student. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get in then to Iron Preacher uh, and how this works. Uh, we have uh, Pastor Jared Melius from Zion Lutheran Church in Denver, Colorado on the line. How are you today? Good. Thanks, Evan. Great. And and you are going up against the Iron Preacher. And how this works is we give you, you both a text. And uh, right away, you guys have about 10 minutes to work on this on an outline and then we, uh, uh, in the meantime, Professor Pless and I will talk about uh, sermon writing. And, uh, and then we'll uh, hear your, your outlines and, and hear what you got. So here's the text. Let me read it so I can get you guys going. This is John chapter 2, 1 through 11. And let me read the text. And on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus was also invited. And his disciples to the wedding. And when they gave out wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, uh, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. And there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing twenty or thirty gallons each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. They took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine, he did not know where it, where it had come from, but the servants uh, who brought the water knew. And the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, then when men have drunk freely, uh, then that which is poor. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of the, his signs Jesus did on Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So that's the text, John chapter 2, 1 through 11. And we'll get our preachers going on working on their outlines. So begin your outlines. Uh, as they do that, it's, it's my delight to talk to Professor John Pless from Cordia Theological Seminary uh, about uh, uh, sermon writing. And, and Professor, uh, last time we did this, we discovered that uh, there's this distinction be- be- to be made in our, in our sermons. Uh, first, the law and the gospel. Would you talk briefly about that, the distinction between law and gospel? Okay. Yeah, very good point. Um, 
preaching has as its task and as its goal uh, to make the most of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, uh, what do we mean by that when we say that preaching ought to be Christ-centered or preaching ought to make, uh, make the most of Jesus? Um, uh, to, make, uh, to make the work of Christ uh, absolutely clear uh, for the hearer, uh, the preacher has to proclaim not only who Christ is, that he's the Son of God, uh, but what Christ has done, and, and yet uh, such a proclamation is far more than simply describing uh, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem or the changing of water into wine at Cana Galilee or uh, the miracle of the raising of the widow's son at Nain, or even uh, the death of Jesus on Good Friday, or his resurrection from the dead on, on Easter. All that Christ has done has to be proclaimed as that which he has done for you. In other words, uh, the pre uh, preaching of Christ uh, has to be directed to the hearer uh, so that the hearer un uh, hears and uh, and is by the Spirit working in that word brought to trust that uh, uh, Jesus Christ was born for him, that Jesus Christ uh, raises him from the dead, that Jesus Christ uh, forgives him his sin, and um, and is his uh, and is his Savior. Now, when we think of biblical preaching, and our preaching ought to always be scriptural. That is, it is founded. On, a, on, on the text of the Bible and serves to uh, be an exposition or an unfolding, an unpacking of that text, uh, we see that in the scriptures there are actually two different words from God. Uh, Lutherans like to speak of this in terms of law and gospel. And if you uh, want to uh, find the biblical grounding for this, there would be no place better to turn, I would guess, uh, than the third chapter of the book of, of, of Romans of where Paul lays out what this distinction is. That the law is that word of God that, um, uh, that makes demand, uh, but it is more than simply a, a rule or a regulation. It is a, a word of God that uh, holds us accountable before God. That's why Paul says in Romans 3 uh, that uh, the law works to finally stop every mouth so that uh, sinners are robbed of all excuses. That is, the law works to convict uh, the sinner of his sin and uh, to condemn. And so the law has to be preached, not as an end in and of itself. Uh, the law is not preached, for example, uh, simply to inform people of God's desire uh, for morality. The law is not preached as a, uh, uh, a guide uh, for self-improvement. Uh, the law is, um, is, is not preached uh, simply uh, to make people feel bad. Uh, the law is preached so that the hearer uh, might, uh, might, might know his sin and th that he might uh, come to see that there is no way uh, that he can escape uh, uh, from uh, God. There's no way that he can save himself. And, and so the law is always preached in service of the gospel. And the word gospel itself, of course, uh, means good news. Not any old good news, but more specifically, the good news about Christ, the good news which is Jesus Christ, the good news that in this Jesus God was uh, working to reconcile uh, the world to himself uh, through the blood of the cross. 
And so good preaching will always proclaim Christ and proclaim that the work of this Christ is indeed uh, for sinners. And, and, and so preaching, uh, in fact, uh, bestows uh, to uh, sinful human beings uh, the very gift of the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. With about three minutes remaining, let's check in with our preachers. First with the challenger, Pastor Emilius. Uh, how's the sermon outline going so far? Uh, it's light so far, uh, but it's coming, Evan. I'm getting it. All right, keep working. Time is short. And Pastor Wolfmere, the uh, self-proclaimed iron preacher. Iron preacher! And uh, how, <laughs> how's your sermon uh, outline going so oh, far? I don't, who, where did we come up with these games? You that's, always that's think of these wanna... games and you complain about it when they're hard. Yeah, right. All right, well, <laughs> keep working. you got a couple minutes left. Uh, <laughs> pro- Professor Pless, um, you, you oftentimes hear uh, uh, preachers or pastors say that, hey, look, uh, in my preaching, I'm a verse-by-verse Bible teacher. I'm, I, I just preach from the scriptures. Um, what what is the key? You, you touched on it before when you're talking about uh, the division between law and gospel. What, what's the, the the key thing when we talk about preaching just from the Bible, from the text? Certainly, all preaching has to be biblical. That is, it is an exposition of the Scripture, which is the very uh, the very Word of God, and and that uh, preaching is normed by the Bible. That we have the words of the prophets and the apostles who were inspired by God's Spirit, not only to speak, but to put that word in writing. And so that uh, prophetic and apostolic word is to be a yardstick uh, that measures everything that is said in the scripture, or in the, in, in, in the pulpit. That in the pulpit, the pastor is not proclaiming his own opinions or his own theories or making uh, social or personal commentary. Uh, he is proclaiming the biblical biblical word and at the heart of that biblical word is jesus christ and so a sermon is biblical not simply because it goes verse by verse through a text or even repeats what the biblical writer says but a sermon is finally biblical and evangelical that is centered in the gospel uh, when the preaching of the text gives full honor to Jesus Christ as the only Savior of sinners and full consolation uh, to those who are troubled by their sin and broken by the law. I suppose you'd expect uh, someone working a sermon to uh, consult the original text, the the original language of the text first. And I I assume that our our preachers today would have done that. Is that right? (laughs) Well, that is is certainly the expectation. That's why in, in, in our seminaries we train men in the use of Hebrew and 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 Greek, that uh, that that preaching is never freelancing, and it's not shooting from, it's not shooting from the hip. It is uh, uh, it is it is grounded and founded in uh, in exegetical study. That is leading out of the text what God by His Spirit uh, has put there in the uh, in the particularity of the languages Hebrew and Greek that God. Uh, that God chose to use to give us His Word, and so just as a, a uh, uh, you know a building is built on a, a solid foundation and has to have uh, uh, studs and beams in place, you might not notice those uh, when you look at the exterior of the building. Uh, so the sermon needs to be founded in a very careful uh, study of the written text of, of the Word of God. And perhaps the, the downfall of this game, Iron Preacher, as I'm willing to bet neither of our, our 
our participants of this game consulted the Greek, but I may stand corrected. We are all out of time, so our preachers need to stop. And uh, we'll be right back after this commercial break to, to look at these uh, outlines. So stay tuned. More Table Talk Radio right after this. Hi, this is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. I know that when you tune in the radio to listen to your favorite Lutheran, conservative, confessional radio show with a game show theme, that you have a lot of choices. So I'd like to thank you for listening to Table Talk Radio. And as a show of our appreciation, I'd like to give you the opportunity to help the show by donating now. So click the Donate Now button at tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for your help. back for Table Talk Radio. Uh, we're in the middle of this game, Iron Preacher, and uh, our, our challenger our challenger is Pastor Jeremelius of uh, Zion Lutheran Church in uh, Denver, Colorado, and uh, our judge is Professor John Pless of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So, uh, Pastor Melius, I'll let you go ahead first. Why don't you just read off our, uh, your outline, and, and we'll leave it to Professor Pless's critique. Okay, uh, this is my theme. Uh, in minutes, my theme, I don't have a title, I, haven't, I, I never think of a title, but, the, but this could be the title. Uh, God Cares for Our Needs. Okay, the first point is, uh, but it doesn't always seem so, and so we complain instead that he doesn't care for our needs. Uh, and number two, but even so, Jesus still cares for our needs, and he answers our prayers. He gives even more than what we need. And uh, point number three, uh, you didn't, uh, let's see, you didn't ask for your salvation, you didn't ask for your redemption, and yet he gave it uh, to you uh, even though you didn't ask. Very good. Uh, Professor Pless, can I have your uh, comments on, on that, that outline that you just heard? Okay. Uh, overall, I think a good job. Uh, the uh, Iron Preacher wannabe identified as a, uh, a theme. Yeah, I like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, God, uh, God cares for our needs. That's uh, quite apparent, again, uh, from, uh, from the text. Uh, he also picks up uh, from the text the... Uh, fact that um, um, uh, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, comes to him with a request, uh, we might say, you know, might say uh, a prayer, and, uh, and then uh, also very helpful is the way that uh, the preacher uh, noted um, in, in the outline uh, that God uh, cares for our needs in, the way, in a way that uh, goes beyond even our expectation, that it's not only then according to the text. Uh, the gift of, uh, of, of wine, uh, but such an abundance of wine that was unexpected and unknown. And, and then uh, at the end of the, the, the third point of the sermon, of course, uh, has to do uh, with uh, uh, the fact that, uh, uh, that God goes beyond our prayer. In fact, God doesn't wait for us to pray uh, when he gives us the gift of, of, of salvation. 
Now, that is a point I would suggest could be honed a little more, um, uh, a little more sharply or a little more finely uh, to uh, point out kind of the messianic nature of what Jesus is doing when he changes water into wine. Uh, from the Old Testament, from Isaiah, uh, the mountains flowing with, uh, with an abundance of new wine, of good wine, and of course Jesus uh, now uh, bringing that to fulfillment as, uh, as he reveals his glory and the disciples put their uh, faith in him. And so uh, first two points I think were, were very good in the, the sermon. I think the third point could have been uh, uh, focused and, and sharpened a bit to make it uh, even more uh, Christ-centered and focused on uh, the, the great gift that uh, Jesus Christ is and the great gift that he, he gives and how the water and the changing of the water into wine uh, actually anticipates what Jesus will do on the cross. But overall, very good job. Very good. Okay, well, I'm, I'm a little worried then. Uh, that, that's a pretty good outline, and now we have to look at the, the Iron Preacher. Now, uh, Pastor Wolfman, is, does anyone else uh, refer to you as the Iron Preacher, or is it pretty much just you? I think it's a growing custom here at the church. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> now, I just have to say that I have not, when you said stop, I have not touched my manuscript, uh, so that uh, when I what I'm about to, I'm just going to read you the very words that I wrote Uh this is slightly ironic because some of the things that Professor Pless said uh, will, will show up here. So here it is. This is the, the title is The Beginning and End of Signs. <clears throat> I have an introduction which says Messianic Promises in parentheses, The hills drip with fat and the valleys flow with wine. Uh, and so the fulfillment of these promises is begun here in Jesus' signs. Uh, the first point, then, is that the water of purification of the Jews is transformed into the wine of gladness. And uh, this, uh, so these, point two, purifying water pots stand as a picture of every man-made and man-centered attempt to wash away sins, but they cannot do it. Uh, point three, then, is that the, this first of signs in Cana of Galilee points to the last of signs, which is the cross, where the Son of Man is lifted up, like Jesus will say in John 3, and the resurrection, the sign of Jonah that Jesus gives later. And then, uh, here's this is written, then I stopped making points. I don't know what point this is. Uh, there Jesus uh, is, takes, oh, is is marked out and nothing replaced it. There Jesus takes all our impurity, uh, which the purifying water could not wash away, the shame that we cannot cover, the guilt that we cannot forgive. So then the conclusion is this. Jesus manifests his glory in this. He makes an end of cleansing in the forgiveness of all sins and gives us now the joy of our salvation. So there it is. That's the sermon. All right. Sounds good. Professor Plus. Okay. Uh, thank you, Pastor Wolfmiller. Um, good title. I think the... Uh, the title or the theme, Beginning and End of Signs, really picks up on the, uh, the overall uh, Christological focus of, of John's Gospel, uh, that, uh, uh, that uh, Jesus, in fact, is uh, the fulfillment of the Old, Testament, uh, uh, the Old Testament Word and everything else associated with, uh, uh, with, uh, with the Old Testament, uh, that... Um, this miracle or this sign, John prefers that word, uh, comes at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and yet it points 
uh, it points to the end of that ministry, namely uh, his glorification, his being, uh, his being lifted up uh, on the cross. Uh, with the second point, I think, of your outline, you might want to hone that a little more carefully to avoid any kind of allegorical uh, interpretation. It seems that perhaps you were uh, uh, bordering a bit on that, that the old, uh, that the uh, water pots represent uh, a man's, uh, uh, man's attempts, and now uh, Christ uh, brings, uh, uh, brings an end to that. You would want to, I think, uh, uh, be, uh, exercise a bit of caution as to how you, uh, how you do that. Um, from what I could tell from your outline, it uh, uh, clearly moved in a, uh, uh, a way that would uh, uh, exalt, uh, exalt Christ, uh, declaring him to be uh, the only one who can give us the new wine of the kingdom. And, and certainly there's consolation for sinners there uh, in that, um, uh, in that uh, uh, all of our strivings, all of the, the, uh, all of the uh, kind of the stale water that we would bring is, uh, uh, is, is displaced by uh, uh, the glory of, of Jesus' death and um, and, and resurrection. Okay, Professor, with just a couple minutes, could you uh, just briefly compare the two sermons? And if you can actually pick a winner, I don't know that that's possible to do with such great, oh, yeah. great sermon outlines here, but um, if that's possible, Professor Plutz. I, I like how Evan, by the way, picks texts that he has to write sermons on so that he gets two outlines out of this. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, this is the Gospel for Epiphany, too, so uh, historically, so I'm sure he'll get to. Uh, uh, he'll get to um, he'll get to use it. Um, no, I think both sermons. I think both sermons uh, were good. I think that uh, uh, Pastor Melius's um, uh, sermon, uh, rep- at least from the outline, re- represented a kind of a, uh, a kind of a lean uh, clarity uh, there. That, as I said, could have been enhanced in terms of its uh, uh, conclusion, a more uh, a more pointed. A proclamation of who this Jesus is, and where we are, uh, where where we are given uh, to taste of the goodness of his of, of his of his wine. Um, Pastor uh, Wolf Miller's uh, sermon uh, again, I think, was uh, uh, generally well done. The uh, the theme was uh, uh, did a, did a nice job of uh, kind of encapsulating what. Uh, the sermon would, uh, in fact, uh, do, and was certainly uh, uh, certainly textual. Uh, there was uh, uh, indication of some of, uh, of a use of, a, of of the Old Testament of a more uh, kind of a careful exegetical uh, uh, perception of what's going on in, uh, in 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 John's Gospel, and um, and again, uh, very clearly, I think. Uh, uh, let uh, uh, let Christ have his uh, have his uh, have his have his say. Uh, but to pick a, to pick a winner, I don't know. Uh, hard to uh, uh, hard to hard to do that. I think I'm going to uh, follow the tradition of my colleague and cop out by calling it a tie. <laughs> <laughs> draw goes to the iron preacher. Oh. I'm just fine with a draw. We need to change that rule about the tie. I think the tie should go to the challenger because he doesn't have this you know, glorious title that he made up for himself. <laughs> hey, uh, Pastor Melius, thank you so much for being on the program. It was a, it was a delight. 
Good. Thank you for having me, Evan. And Professor Plus, it's always a joy to have you on as well. Thank you very much. Good to be with you today. Hey, stay tuned for more Table Talk Radio after this break. We're playing Law and or Gospel. And uh, I think, are we going to get some points, Pastor Wolfman, for this game? Oh, yeah, yeah. Points are on the table. All right. So right after this, Law and or Gospel. And also, don't forget to check out our website, tabletalkradio.org. There's a new feature on that with with our forum. You can go on and discuss these very sermons on our forum. And uh, Pastor Emilius can log on and see what you are saying about his his sermons. Check it out, tabletalkradio.org. We'll be right back. If you're still not full, after an hour of Table Talk Radio, listen to Table Scraps, the internet-exclusive edition of Table Talk Radio. On Table Scraps, you will hear additional interviews and discussions, and it's only available on tabletalkradio.org. And we're back with more Table Talk Radio, whether you like it or not. Uh, we're playing Law and or Gospel. And uh, but first... My favorite game. Oh, my new favorite game is Iron Preacher. Oh, my... I like that, too. <laughs> well, uh, I do like answer this question as, too. You had a great show so far. Fantastic. This is. Would this be your favorite show, then? It is. Yeah, Good. my favorite show. Although now we've lost the, the uh, talent. Professor Pless and Pastor Melius are off the line. So yeah, you're stuck with us again. Plain old... <laughs> The plain old shtick. Yep. Well, hey, you have a the, the listener. The Iron Preacher and the Guilty Seminarian. Oh, yeah, listener participation game. Because we are playing now in this segment. This is my favorite, the second favorite game, law and or gospel. Uh, and one of the texts that we derive the, the making this distinction between the law, which is what we're to do, and also what we don't do, uh, and the gospel, what Christ has done for us to forgive our sins, one of the texts that we draw... Uh, this distinction from is this text, and so the listener participation game is to just to, to tell me where in the Bible you find this text. So here it is: Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So there it is. That's the text. If you can tell us where it comes from in the scriptures, then you can enter yourself in the listener participation game and have a chance of. Uh, of winning some sort of fantastic prize. That's right. Why don't you give us the number, Pastor Wolf Miller? Um, eight six six Table Talk Radio. <laughs> uh, no, eight six six eight five one five five two three is the number. Uh, leave your. What does that spell? Nothing. Eight six six eight five one five five two three. I don't know. We'll have to look at the numbers. I'll, I'll find something clever. Um, what kind uh, of low-budget operation is this if our <laughs> number doesn't even spell anything? I know. That, that's lame. <laughs> or you can email us, lpg at tabletalkradio.org. So 866-851-5523 or lpg at tabletalkradio.org. And that's also the phone number you can call in with uh, comments or questions or complaints about Pastor Wolfmiller. And uh, <laughs> we, we like to play those on the air every once in a while. We haven't had one in a while. I think we've got one coming up. So. Uh, leave your questions or comments on the air. We also like to play Stump the Pastor, so <laughs> uh, leave your hard question to Pastor Wolfmiller and, and hear him fumble around with your question. Yeah, that's right. That's everyone's favorite game. Oh. <laughs> well, hey, we're playing a law and or gospel uh, for this. This is this is a, a, a regular game for Table Talk Radio, but we have a special clip 
Um, and this actually comes back a few weeks ago when we did uh, Biggest Loser. Is that right? Yeah, I was listening to the show, The Biggest Loser, that we did uh, a while back. It was an accident. I mean, everyone that is listening, it's so an you're accident. Listening to you're listening to yourself. It's a little narcissistic, don't you think? Uh, I, well, I was listening to the segment because uh, Chris Roseborough was so kind to post it up on Extreme Theology, and there was a bit of a, uh, a blog conversation going on, so I was listening back. And, and one of the pieces of fat that you had trimmed from a Rick Warren sermon caught my attention. I didn't, I didn't notice it uh, this particular th- uh, clip before, but I heard it again. I said, we got to listen to that. So so we want to listen to the clip and then we said, well, what kind of game can we put around to make it, uh, you know, Table Talk Radio style? Really, we just want to listen to this clip uh, and talk about it where, where Rick Warren talks about who loves Jesus. Um, so I don't know if you have it queued up, ready to go there, Evan, and we'll, we'll take a listen and then talk about it on the other side. If you act like Jesus Christ, you're going to be criticized by religious people. Jesus was the friend of sinners. They loved him. They loved him. All the unbelievers loved Jesus. It was the religious people who couldn't stand him. Because he broke all the traditions and things like that. And the Bible tells us that they were, they did it out of envy. I told these pastors this last week, I said, you guys, you just need to understand this. When you're little, they ignore you. And when you're growing, they criticize you. And when you're successful, they resent you. So just ignore them. How about that, huh? Yeah, it's a now. I mean, the problem that we talked about before was here. Rick Warren is is calling basically people who criticize him. He calls them uh, religious Pharisees, so, and and we focused on that. But there's this line in there right at the beginning that really uh, it needs to be addressed, and it is this. Uh, Warren says, "Quote: Unbelievers loved Jesus." Unbelievers love Jesus. Now, let's just think about that for a little bit and just first ask the question, is it true that the unbelievers love Jesus? And the answer is, I mean, when when we just ask what an unbeliever is, I mean, what is a person who is an unbeliever? Well, uh, amongst anything else, the first and foremost thing is that they aren't a believer, that they do not believe in Jesus, that they don't have faith in him, that they don't trust him. Uh, an unbeliever, by definition, is a person who doesn't love Jesus, follow Jesus, have faith in Jesus, trust Jesus. That's what it means to be an unbeliever. Uh, so how can you come and say that it's the unbelievers who love Jesus? Well, th- this is the problem. Warren is working with this paradigm of you got the religious people, who were the Pharisees who hated Jesus, and you got the sinners who loved Jesus. But then he wrongly throws belief in there, as if the religious people were believers and the unreligious people were the unbelievers. You see what I'm yeah. saying, Evan? Uh, what do you think is the, uh, the, the the motivation behind him saying this? Well, it's, it's because everyone, I should say this, nobody wants to be part of the Pharisees. I mean, we look at the Pharisees and we say, boy, uh, they're a mess. They're a disaster. Jesus woes them and condemns them over and over again. And so we don't want to be. We don't want to be that. We do not want to be religious Pharisees. Um, but then the problem is that Warren says, well, the problem with the Pharisees is that they were religious. No, the problem with the Pharisees was that they themselves were unbelievers. They didn't trust in Jesus. They didn't believe in Him. They didn't follow Him. They didn't hear His word. It wasn't the the unbelievers that followed Jesus. It was the sinners who had faith in him. It was the believers. So now what Warren's done is he's divided this thing up. So you got you got religious people, and then you got the unbelievers. And, and we now don't want to be like the religious people. We want to be like the unbelievers. 
But the sinners that come to Jesus are not defined by their unbelief. They are defined by their repentance. That is, their sorrow over sin and their trust in Christ. But this this false dichotomy that Warren has set up is, is very dangerous. One, it assumes that you can be an unbeliever and love Jesus. You can't, and that is absolutely false. Two, it gives unbelief some sort of reign in the church. And we see that with the way that Warren runs things. Uh, so you ready for, for this? I know that you uh, know this, Evan, too, that, that when Rick Warren went to start his church, he did it by going and surveying unbelievers. Right. Right? Door-to-door to, door to door asking what people's greatest needs were, people who don't go to church. What do they want in a church and this sort of thing? Now, what could possibly be wrong with that strategy? Well, I mean, if if you're making church to be what unbelievers want it to be, then it, no, it ceases to be, be the church. Because yeah, non-believers right. aren't going to say, well, we want to hear the word of God. We want our sins forgiven. They're going to say, we want it to be fun. Uh, it shouldn't be boring, that's for sure. And it should be relevant to our lives. That's the, that's the kind of responses they get. Yeah, that's right. Because unbelievers, just by definition, don't believe in Jesus. They don't want to. Uh, in fact, they can't uh, because of the sinful nature, because the mind of the flesh does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 2. So so the unbeliever doesn't have anything to say about Jesus. They, they are concerned then about themselves. Now, uh, the, th- the third problem with ho- this whole business of setting up this distinction uh, between unbelievers and the religious people uh, is you get you have the wrong idea of the Pharisees and about what it means to be religious. Um, let me just just ask the question this way: Were the Pharisees more concerned about listening to Jesus and hearing his teaching, or about doing good works? I would have to say uh, doing good works. That's exa- I mean, that's exactly what it means to be a Pharisee is to be obsessed with doing good works. And, and let me just ask you this question. Uh, would it be the sinners, the repentant sinners, who trust and come to Jesus, or would it be the Pharisees who would say something like this? We're interested in a in a new reformation of deeds, not creeds. Well, as we just said, the Pharisees are more focused on their good works, so I have to say that sounds like something a Pharisee would say. Exactly right. I mean, it's the Pharisees that are obsessed with deeds, with doing good, with, with, uh, with having this external appearance of righteousness and all of this sort of thing. It's the sinners that come to Jesus. And, and look, Evan, this is how the Scriptures teach us, that we come to Jesus and, and teach us what the church is. When we know our sin, our, our wretchedness, that we, are, that we are totally and completely distasteful to God, uh, and then we believe his promise of the forgiveness of sins, that in the man Jesus there is hope for us sinners, and we come repentant to him with sorrow and with faith, then we are Christians. Not when we manifest our goodness to all the world, it's when we believe and trust in Christ. And it's only sinners then that can come to Jesus trusting and believing in his promise of forgiveness. Uh, so so when we when we have this Warren quote again where he says it's the unbelievers that love Jesus, I mean, this sets us on a very, very dangerous path. It is, it's not even really law in our game, law or gospel. It's just plain old false teaching. But it sets us on the very dangerous path of either uh, pride or despair, which moves away from faith and trust in Christ. That's exactly right. And that's going to bring us to the end of this edition of Table Talk Radio. Uh, But thank you uh, so much for tuning in. And uh, don't forget to check out our website, tabletalkradio.org, or call our listener response line, 866-851-5523. See you next time on Table Talk Radio.
You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like to answer your questions concerning theology, the scriptures, or anything else. Send your questions to questions at tabletalkradio.org or leave us a voicemail message, 866-851-5523. Be sure to check out our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.